0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. We can do better than that. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Hey, it's good to see you. Welcome back, LifePoint family. Uh, If you're a guest this morning, my name is Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, and we're thrilled uh, that you're here. Uh, If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been in a series uh, for several weeks now. We've been calling, asking for a friend. Uh, It's been tough in some ways, but I hope uh, helpful at the same time we've been uh, looking at some of the <clears throat> questions that we feel like are prominent, not only in our culture, but maybe specifically within the church. And uh, we've sort of said, hey, some of those questions are uncomfortable. Maybe don't want, we don't want to voice them out loud, but we're going to go ahead and voice them out loud in this series and talk through them. And we sort of coordinated that with 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 because we've said we didn't We didn't just say, hey, what are the most prominent questions? Really, we looked at 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and saw that the Apostle Paul, in teaching the Corinthians and addressing a lot of the issues they were writing to him about, we noticed, man, these are many of the same issues we're still dealing with. Today, things have not changed all that much in some ways. And so week one, we looked at conflict within the church and how do we as Christians uh, deal with conflict with one another in a way that honors the Lord and doesn't bring disrepute to the gospel. We looked week two at uh, the Apostle Paul addressing multiple patterns of sin in our lives that he says, keep us out of the kingdom if those things are unrepentant. And then we got to that beautiful statement that such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And in that context, we talked at length about sexual immorality and God caring about what we do with our bodies. And so if you weren't here for that message, I'd encourage you to go back to two weeks ago and listen to that. Uh, listen, hopefully, to the whole series if you haven't been here with us. But we dealt at length with sexual immorality and sort of sex outside of marriage. And then last week we went and said, hey, we're going to talk about sex inside of marriage and what is God's design and intention for sex inside of marriage. And, and we said, you know, hey, we... I thought maybe that would be easier, and I don't know that it really was. And so uh, this week, we get to something that, to be honest, I'm very excited to talk about today. And uh, I imagine those of us who are uh, currently uh, maybe in what I'm going to call a season of singleness, I told you last week, right, you've endured those who are single many marriage sermons and marriage messages, and today, uh, single folks, this is just for you, right? Right? And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is addressing, well, let me say first, before we get there, really he's going to address this question about, what about folks who are in a season of singleness? And the question we sort of posed when we were talking about this was, I think sometimes people feel like, why doesn't God hurry up and bring me the perfect spouse already? Right? Why doesn't he bring me Mr. Right or Mrs. Right? And you probably know me well enough at this point in time, if you do, uh, I've been here for a while that I take these questions and I say, hey, maybe let's look at this differently. Here's the question that many of us are maybe tempted to ask, but here's maybe the question I think would be just a better question to ask. So I'm going to ask a different question, and one of my goals today is to get us really to think differently about singleness in general. And by differently, I mean think biblically about it. And so first, I want to just posit a different reality. I want to make a statement here, and it's actually a quote from a guy named Ben Stewart. Ben Stewart's the pastor of Passion City Church. He led a ministry at Texas A&M for a number of years in his 20s and early 30s. He wrote a book called Single Dating, Engaged, Married. It's one of the four resources uh, that's listed at the bottom of your notes today, and also on the website when we post this message. It's a phenomenal book, and particularly the chapter on singleness. He's got two chapters on there, but the first one's called The Purpose of Singleness. It is phenomenal. And one of the things he says is this, that God has ordained a season of singleness for every person on the planet. That God has ordained a season of singleness for every person on the planet. So you're going to hear me use that phrase a lot today, and this is really crucial, okay? Now, when we talk about singleness, I think it's helpful for us to think about seasons of singleness. The reality is nobody's married from the day they're born until the day they die, okay? And even those of us who get married young and are married, uh, Lord willing, our whole many, many, many years, the reality is, I mean, most of us are not dying the same moment that our spouses do, right? I know the notebook portrayed it that way, right? But that's not reality for most folks. And so the reality is, whether before marriage, after marriage, or whether marriage never happens, there is a season of singleness ordained for all of us by the Lord, and whether that be short, long, or even life long. There's a season for all of us. And so the question, I think, I think the better question for us to ask is this. What are you going to do with the season of singleness that God has given to you? What are you going to do with the season of singleness that God has given you? Or maybe even the seasons of singleness that God has given you. With that said, look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Paul has just talked to married couples and talked about sex within marriage. And he said, you know, husbands and wives come together regularly is basically what he says. He says, if you want to take some time off from that to devote yourselves to prayer, that's fine. But then come together again so that the enemy won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Then he says in verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. He says, I'm not saying you have to do that. And then he goes on to say this in verse 7, which honestly I think should shock some of us. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. What is Paul? Single. He's not married as far as we know, right? Well, we know that he's not married, and there's some people who speculate maybe he was married in the past, in his earlier life, but we don't know that. But we do know for decades, till the end of his life, he's single. And he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. But, and listen to this, each has his own, what? Gift. From God. One of one kind and one of another. Some of us, the gift of marriage. Some of us, the gift of singleness. Other gifts, he says, we're not the same. Different seasons of life. Different things that God has called us to. And he says then in verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows... I say that it's good for them to remain single. Now, some of what Paul's going to say here is conditional or circumstantial to the Corinthians, okay, to the Corinthians, because of the situation they're going on. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But he's saying to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But, and he, you're going to hear Paul say this like four times, right, where he's like, I think it's good if you're married and single, but you know what, if you want to get married, that's okay too. I think it's good if you remain single, but you know what, if you want to get married, that's okay too. Like he keeps doing this. So he says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. All right? Kids, if you're like, what does that mean? You can ask your parents later. All right? (laughs) Parents, you're welcome for that one, right? All right. First thing that I want to note and just highlight and lift off the page, singleness is a gift. It's a gift. Seasons of singleness. A season of singleness is a gift from the Lord. It's not purgatory, it's not a curse, okay? And I, some of us, let me say, some of us who are in a season singing. it's like, I know that, Gail, I don't feel that way. Good. But for others of us, we may very well feel that way. Like, why has God put me in there? Why did he give me this gift? I don't want it. Can I give it back? And the reason I'm highlighting this is because specifically over the years, I've become convinced that we have whiffed on this. We have whiffed on this, not... Not so much necessarily in the wider culture, but specifically within the church. That I think within like the evangelical church, loving Jesus, I think sometimes within sort of our evangelical subculture, perhaps unintentionally, Christians who are single, you get treated or you're made to feel like somehow that's like a second-class status. And it's not. It's a perfectly legitimate state in which to live that the Apostle Paul, he never denigrates marriage. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Nor should we. The Apostle Paul says marriage is good. It's instituted by God. The reality is 90% of us are going to get married at some point in time. If stats hold true, at some point in time in our lives we'll get married. But not everyone does. And not everyone has to. And as we're going to see this morning... I'll talk about this later, across the pages of scripture and the pages of history, there are many, many, many single people who have lived incredibly full lives to the glory of God. And I think sometimes, maybe unintentionally, we've missed this and we've created a culture a little bit in which single people feel this enormous pressure of like, hey, so, <laughs> you seen anyone? You dating anyone? And I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think I said it last week and the week before, that We're guilty, I think, of idolizing marriage in such a way, marriage and romance, that we've lost all imagination around what could God do with a single life. We've lost our imagination around what might God do with someone in a season of singleness or an extended season of singleness or even lifelong singleness, and I want us to reclaim a full biblical view of both marriage and singleness. I know some of us are like, yeah, but Kale Genesis 2, right? It's not good for man to be alone. Doesn't that mean everyone should get married? No. <laughs> the Apostle Paul knew Genesis 2. He quoted it. That's a general statement? Absolutely. Most people do get married. It's a good thing. And it's not the only thing the Bible says about marriage and singleness. So what might the purpose of the season of singleness be? Short or long or lifelong? How is it a gift? Let's go on. Go down to verse 25, because Paul takes a little bit of an aside for a while to speak uh, to some other matters. And then he comes back to those who are considering marriage or those who are in a season of singleness. And he addresses it again in verse 25. He says, now concerning the betrothed, right, and their culture, those who've been promised in marriage to one another... He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he's like, Jesus didn't say anything about this exactly, but I'm giving you my judgment as an apostle. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, there it is again, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. If people are engaged, they want to get married, great. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. I'm going to come back and talk about this in a moment. Paul is not saying, this is the same guy who wrote Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ gives. So as those of us are like, sweet, honey, I'm going golfing, right? Like, see you later. That's not what Paul is saying. Okay, there's an overarching point he's trying to make here. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What the world is Paul talking about? He's clearly not saying, hey, because Jesus is coming back, we should abandon our spouses. or you know, We just need to not care about anything. That's not what he's saying. What the apostle Paul is saying is, guys, to both single and married, all of us, no matter what state you're in, he says, the kingdom of God is advancing, and we should be evaluating our time, our resources, and our relationships in light of the kingdom of God, in light of heaven, living in light of heaven. He says, the kingdom of God is coming. It's advancing. Jesus is calling all people to himself. We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but he says, look, in the grand scheme of things, the time is short. So live your life in light of that and don't get distracted. Give you a simple analogy, right? Simple illustration to help you. Running. Okay? When you're on a long run, if you've been ever trained for something long distance, I can speak with a little bit of authority on this. I had to do it for a while. When you're in the middle of a long run, it is easy to get lost. And I'm not talking like actual lost, like to get lost in the run. You're like, I've been going for an hour. I got an hour to go. And you just sort of like, uh, you start to slow down. Your mind starts to wander you get tired you walk right you start dragging your feet you're like i just want this to be over right and then what happens when you see the finish line what happens when you look down at your watch and realize i only have a few minutes left what happens when you start to realize it's the last mile you start to speed up you start to refocus you start thinking no no it's right there i got to i got to snap out of it You start changing the pace, getting excited, because you know, think about that, because you know the finish line is not far away, you change the way you run. You change your approach because you know the end is near. That's what Paul is saying. In light of the kingdom, guys, the finish line isn't far away. We don't know how many years we have on this earth. Jesus is coming back. The kingdom of God is advancing. He says, keep your eyes on that. Keep your eyes on heaven. And in light of the finish line, it ought to change the way that we live. There should be a purpose to the things we do. As we think about our time, our resources, and our relationships, we evaluate them in the way that we're approaching those things in light of the reality that Jesus is one day coming back. So married or single, Paul's saying, don't get distracted. And then he goes on in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So Paul's not talking about anxious in the sense of like uh, sort of a crippling anxiety. Okay, this is again the same guy who says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, right? With thanksgiving, make known your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a, there's a sense of care and concern that Paul's talking about here, and then an anxiousness, and anxiety that's crippling, that he says, that's not of the Lord. Right? But he says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, concern, thinking about how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Now, once again... Same guy who writes to husbands and wives in Colossians and in Ephesians 5. Paul's not denigrating marriage. It's good and right. He says, when you get married, you should be seeking to do the things under the Lord to please your spouse. Wanting to please your wife. Wanting to please your husband. What Paul is saying is, guys, the reality is, for those who are in a season of singleness and thinking about marriage. He says, marriage and family life, I want you to know, brings on new cares and concerns and anxieties that you did not have before. And that will limit your flexibility and your freedom and ability to do other things that God might call you to do if you were single. Ben spent a number of years, I think most of his 20s, single. And so he talks about um, just the freedom and flexibility he had. So he talks about after he got married, shortly after he got married, uh, I think it was right around uh, early 2000s, 2004, the tsunami hit in South and Southeast Asia that killed over 225,000 people. And his, he got on the phone with one of his guys, who was, his buddies who was still single, and he said, I'm going. And the buddy did. And Ben said, I knew it. He said, this guy. Now, Ben said, I wanted to go, but my wife and I, we did not have the financial flexibility and freedom and the ability to go. And he said, I wasn't mad about that. It just was one of those reminders that my single buddy had the financial freedom and flexibility in his schedule to pick up and just go. Now, by the way, I want to make one caveat. If you're here and you're single and you have small, you have children, particularly small children, you're like, this does not feel relevant. No, I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying you got tons of flexibility if you're taking care of small kiddos, especially as a single parent, you're doing the job of two as one. So I have in mind here, and I think Paul has in mind here, those who are single who do not yet have kiddos. But Ben said, man, this guy just had this flexibility. He shared another story uh, where uh, he was with some friends, some married couples who were friends of his. They said, let's go camping. And he said, awesome. He was still single at the time. He said, I grabbed a few of my things. I threw them in my backpack, tossed my backpack in the truck and said, let's ride. And then he said, I waited for the next two hours as my married friends with their children packed all of their homes, right? And they packed, he said, they got all their stuff in their cars, and they packed the minivans, and the trailer, and then they packed my truck. And then all the while, their children whining and crying about what they needed. And he just said, and in that moment, he said, I sat there and realized how much freedom and flexibility I had as a single person. It got me reflecting on my own life. I told you, I think last week, 20 to 23, is actually 20 to 24, I was single and I was thinking about my life in my early 20s, and I got to be a part of uh, a church plant, right, as we were planting uh, what was then the Mount Vernon campus. And I, got, I had the flexibility to go up and live in Adam personally, his parents' basement, right, and, and make almost nothing because I didn't really have that many needs. And I got to be a part of this incredible thing that God was doing. And I look back at that season of life, and to be honest, some of the biggest decisions I had each day were like, well... Do I want to spend the $8 at Chipotle, or do I want to go back to my apartment or back to the Purcell's house and see what I could figure out for myself? There was a freedom and flexibility when some of the guys in college said, hey, can you come play ping pong? I'm like, it's midnight. You're darn right I can, right? And so I would go play. And it was wonderful moments of discipleship late into the nights. And I could sleep in till 10 a.m. the next morning if I needed to, because that was work for me, Right? going and playing ping pong at 12 or 1 a.m. I think about my life now. The reality is my life a decade later is much, much, much more complicated, right? With a wife, with four children. And don't get me wrong, I love being married to Morgan. I love being dad to my kids. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I have way more stuff I think about on a daily basis today than I did 10 years ago as a single person. And anyone who's married or has children can attest to that. It brings on new cares and concerns that you simply did not have before. And so that's why Paul says this. And that's why in verse 35 he says this. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you. I'm not trying to kill your joy, he says. What I want is I don't want you to waste this season of singleness. Simply looking on to what's next. He says I want to promote good order and, listen to this, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're a note taker, just underline, circle, undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, before I say anything more, I want to make sure we're really clear. I'm just going to keep saying it because the Apostle Paul keeps saying it. If we're not careful, we can listen to what the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians. And you start to think, okay, then like marriage is bad. No. I want to get married. Is that wrong? No. No. I'm engaged. Should we hold off? Probably not. We're actually big proponents of short engagements here, right? It's like, look, if you're, if you're ready, right, Lord willing, yes, go, get married. Apostle Paul, the, Paul repeatedly says that. If you want to get married, unless there are other factors involved, right? So if you're sitting here today and you're saying, hey, I've been divorced, is remarriage, we're going to talk about all of that next week, right? That's a different category. But Paul says, if you want to get married, that's not wrong. If you want to get married, that's not wrong. You can do that. And some of what Paul is saying here, even to single people, is situational. So when he talked about in light of the present distress, scholars think it seems like there's something that's happened in Corinth, whether it's a famine or something else, some sort of thing has happened that is really stressing them. It's a difficult time. And so some of this may be situational where Paul is basically saying in light of the present situation, maybe it's just best if everyone holds tight and you don't make any huge life decisions or life changes right now. That's not always true. That's not always going to apply. So how should this apply? When Paul's looking at single people, hey, maybe it's best to wait. I think if you're in a season of singleness and you're thinking about the future, what you have to do is look at your own personal situation and begin to ask some questions. Is it wise for me to take a step toward marriage right now? Is this the best time for me to do that? What are my desires? Why are those desires? And and is this just the right time, given everything going on in my life, Is it a good step for me to take? The answer might be yes. The answer might be no. I just had this conversation with someone in our church right now who's wrestling through this in a season of singleness and is thinking, you know what? Based on what God is doing in my life right now, maybe I just need to wait. Praise God. I had a young man at MVNU when I was in Mount Vernon. He was a a freshman there. And um, when I first met him. And, you know, we're going around the room. We're talking to the ladies and the guys about, like, what do you want to do with your life? And there's a whole lot of, like, I don't know. I don't know. Right? I don't know. I think I want to be a teacher. I might want to do this. Cool. And then we get to him. And just dead serious, he's like, I want to be a missionary. And specifically, I want to go to North Korea and tell people about Jesus and probably die there. Cool. I'm Kale. Right? Like, like, I mean, he said that. I was like, what 18-year-old knows this? But you know what? He and I had some serious conversations. Now he ended up later, he did get married to a lady who's like, I'm on board with wherever you you feel like God calls us. But there was a serious conversation and thought process for him about, should I ever get married? And for a time he was like, I don't think I ever will, because I'm not sure if someone's going to be on board with this. He understood his situation, what he felt like his calling was. And that was a real thought process for him of, I'm not sure. And that was a maturity beyond his years that he was saying I'm not sure especially in a school right a christian school where ring by spring was the thing everyone heard every single right like so you got engaged yet and you're like getting to junior senior like oh you know and so this enormous pressure that i think sometimes not always bad but sometimes part of the issue the issue and so paul is saying right i'm not saying this to restrain you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the lord That undivided devotion, I think, is the overarching purpose for the season of singleness that God gives to us and why the Apostle Paul calls it a gift. He says, Look, if you're married, can you be devoted to the Lord? Of course you can. Of course we can. And it will look different. There are advantages to being married and some disadvantages. There are some disadvantages to being single and some advantages. We have some incredible opportunities, those of us who are in a season of singleness, incredible opportunities during that season of singleness to be wholeheartedly, fully devoted to Jesus and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go, here I am. I was thinking about some of the folks in our church, right, just some of the ways in which like the, the flexibility of being single, of not having as many cares and concerns from a family perspective gives you freedom. There's a guy here in our church that, um, and he, he serves, right, single, and is later, older, right, single, and, and just has, he's a widower, He has freedom to do things. He's always saying, man, anything you need me to do, just let me know. Can I come here and serve the church? Can I serve on this team? Absolutely. He started uh, recently studying the Bible at just a greater depth for the first time in his life. And I'll show you a picture. He sends me pictures sometimes. He's like, hey, I'm studying uh, my Bible here. And I'm color coordinating all the verses with all of the commentary notes behind that. And I'm just going to do that for the entire Bible. I was like, bro, how long is this taking you? He's like three to four hours a day. Do you know why he ha- I don't have three to four hours a day, right? I have four children. I don't have four hours, right? And so, but there's a freedom and a flexibility that his schedule allows him to be able to do this. We have a lady in our church who, uh, she was married at one point in time, and then a widow for, I believe, a few decades. And all throughout that time, for over 40 years, she has volunteered serving in middle school ministry. That's incredible. And it's the freedom and flexibility of her schedule and time that allows her to do that, to continue to invest in the next generation of kiddos. Ben Stewart shared another story that I thought was so good. He said there was a moment when he was serving, you know, he wanted to be married and and he was single and he was serving in... Uh, middle, I think middle school ministry, and there was a 12 year old kid, uh, I think part of their church, part of the ministry, who walked by and uh, he, his parents had recently divorced, and I think maybe dad was moving in with somebody else, and the whole situation was just very difficult for this 12 year old, and he was kind of being pitted and put in the middle of it and, and pitted against, and, and Ben looked at him and he said, Hey man, how are you? And the kid said, You know, it's okay, I'm okay. It was one of those, like, I'm okays that you're like, You're not okay. And Ben said, he just looked at him and said, hey, man, I know that the Lord's going to take care of you. And I know that the Lord's going to take care of your family. And I know that in the end it's going to be okay. But right now, this really stinks. And I'm sorry. He said the kid just broke down, came over and just buried his face in Ben's shoulder, wept there. And Ben said, I just remember in that moment saying to the Lord, thank you, God, for this moment for the freedom and flexibility that my singleness affords me to be able to invest in the next generation. Two of the midterm missionaries that we've sent out over the last year into the global mission field have been some of our young ladies, college-aged young ladies who are not yet married and who have the freedom and flexibility to just say, I'm going. And again, I'm not saying, hear me say, I'm not saying that married couples can't do that, that whole families, we've got some families going out into the global mission field. I'm just saying what Paul is saying That there is a freedom and flexibility that is afforded to you during a season of singleness that allows for undivided devotion to the Lord. And that's why Paul says it's a gift. And the reason I say that I think we've whiffed on this is that we are guilty. I really believe this. We're guilty sometimes in the church, maybe even unintentionally, of just so idolizing marriage and romance and saying, well, that's, I mean, that's the ideal. Everyone should be aspiring to that. That we've minimized sometimes the, hey, the cares and concerns that come along the difficulties of marriage. And we've almost lost sight entirely of the giftedness or the benefits of being single. I, so I, to be honest, I hesitated saying this because I thought I might get myself in trouble. But I'm going to say it, right? So um, parents, right? Christian parents. Sometimes I hear folks, and I've done it, right? And I, don't, I think it's good and right. But we'll say things like, man, I'm just praying for each of my kids' future spouses, right? I don't think that's wrong. But just think about what that might unintentionally communicate to each of your kiddos, If you grow up and decide to give your life for the sake of the kingdom, like Jesus says in Matthew 19, so Jesus in Matthew 19 says, look, there are eunuchs who've been that way. Um, Kids, again, if you don't know what eunuch is, ask your parents later. So um, parents, I'm just full of these today. So uh, eunuchs, I'll I'll give you the short definition. Those who cannot have sex for one reason or another, right? Leave it at that. He says there are eunuchs who have been made that way from birth. Eunuchs who've been made that way by men who still common in the ancient world to castrate people for certain reasons, which is awful, but they did it. And so then he goes on and says, and there are yet those who have chosen to be eunuchs, those who have chosen to be single for the sake of the kingdom of God. I'm not even sure we have a grid for that. We're like, what? Chosen to be single for the sake of the kingdom of God like the apostle Paul has? And so as we pray for our children, I hope that it's not wrong, and it's good. The, the likelihood statistically is, yes, the vast majority of our children are going to get married. And, and I, man, I, I, like, I hope that for my kids, but more than I hope that for my kids, what I hope and pray for them is, Lord, I hope each one of them knows you and loves you and puts you first. And if, that, if they choose to be married and you bring that in their lives, absolutely, amen. I'm praying for that future spouse and their parents, that God would give them wisdom And should they choose to be single for the sake of the kingdom of God, I hope that we as parents will say, man, I'm just glad that you're putting Jesus first. Because can you imagine the Apostle Paul, right? So like, we don't know anything about his parents, but I just was kind of chuckling to myself this week. Like, what if the Apostle Paul's parents were just full court pressing him all the time, right? Like, he's writing to them, and he's like, dear mom and dad, right? Church planting's going well, right? Saw another miracle, right? Many got saved, planted another church. And then mom and dad are like, dear Polly, right? That's really neat. Do you have a date yet, right? Are the grandbabies coming? (laughs) Like, that'd sort of be the definition of missing the point, wouldn't it? And I'm not saying that's wrong, right? Like, again, that's a good, it's not wrong to have that desire for your kids. And it's not wrong to want grandkiddos. Like, I someday want that. I watch my parents and Morgan's parents. It's wonderful. And at the same time, we have got to reclaim some of this ground and say, you know what? There are advantages and disadvantages. Both are a gift and seasons of singleness, totally legitimate, short, long, or even lifelong Across the pages of Scripture, across the pages of history, many people who've been single, who have lived full, incredibly full, relationally full, missionally full, joyful, full lives for the kingdom. Let me just to give you a few examples, right? One, Jesus, which I feel like I probably could just stop there and we could pray, right, and be done. But I think some of us might say, well, that's Jesus, right? Like, okay, the Apostle Paul, Anna, She was mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, right, that she was married for a few years and then was widowed. And she lived for the next 70 years as a widow, worshiping in the temple and looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She got to see Jesus himself before she died. Ruth, after her first marriage ended, her first husband was killed or died, an extended season of singleness before being married then to Boaz. John the Baptist, as far as we know, never married. The prophet Jeremiah from the pay, I could go on, but from the pages of history, C.S. Lewis, right, was not married until the very end of his life, near the end, only for a few years, near the end of his life. I don't think anyone's looking at C. S. Lewis and going, seems like it was kind of a bummer of a life. Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom was the daughter of the Dutch watchmaker, right, in Holland or in the Netherlands during the time of World War II. Her story, she wrote it in the and called the The Hiding Place. It's incredible what God used this woman and her family for. She survived being in a Nazi concentration camp. After the war, she started a home for the restoration of those who'd experienced the atrocities of the war and then for decades traveled the world sharing the hope of Christ through her testimony and died at age 91, single. She's got incredible story. No one's looking at her going, "Uh, you know, it's so sad that she died alone. No, she had a full relational life, and she experienced the heartache. When she was young, she fell in love with a young man who, from the way she tells it, kind of led her on a little bit, and then one day shows up with another girl on his arm and gets married to her, and she is heartbroken. And yet she gave that over to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm not sure I'm going to love anyone else like that ever again, but I'll be content in you. And she found contentment and joy in the purpose that God had given her. Sam Alberry, Christopher Yuan, two pastors who have chosen celibacy for the sake of the kingdom and are being used with their lives and their gifts for the kingdom of God. Again, I just, my, my hope for this is that we see and we as a church will make room and understand and create a culture where we value both, hey, marriage, good and wonderful, and in the season of singleness, good devote yourself entirely to the lord now let me address a couple of things and then we'll be done addressing loneliness i want to address loneliness for a moment because from what i can tell from my own experience in my early 20s right i i was not bored i had plenty on my plate i was being used by the lord i loved it and there were moments i sat alone in the evening times and it was like i feel a little lonely I remember that. And from talking with folks who are single in our church, the feeling of loneliness is perhaps the hardest part of being single. The feeling of loneliness, sometimes the feeling of being left out, watching those around you and feeling like maybe you're a little bit out of the loop. And I just want to say, man, those are real. Those things are real. That feeling is real. The reality is real. And I don't want to make light of that. I will say, I think loneliness is probably not just a single person's problem. I think it's a human problem. There's some people in marriages that feel wildly lonely. But I think it's most powerfully and keenly felt by those who are single in our culture. Here's what I would say to it: a couple of things. One, I do hope for all of us that in an ultimate, married or single, that in an ultimate like us and God way, we recognize we're never alone. in our darkest and loneliest moments, we have a Savior who died for us on the cross and rose again. We have a Father who adopted us in love. And we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And I hope we can sing in those moments, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness take it to the Lord in prayer. We're never alone. And at the same time, it is also true, we were created for human relationships. We were created for relationship with the Father, but he also created us for a relationship with each other. It isn't good for us to be alone. And the problem of loneliness is exacerbated by our current cultural moment. Our current culture, we know, so for a while we wondered, like, what's the net effect of social media and all this stuff? We don't wonder about that anymore. We know We know what the net effect is. The net effect is that we are more connected than ever and real community and relationship has plummeted. Deep friendships have plummeted. True connectivity has plummeted in our culture. And the problem of loneliness has been exacerbated by that. And the only way I know to solve this as I think about our church is us church as a family to do the long, hard work of creating a culture of deep, Christ-centered relationships, deep friendships, brother and sister in Christ type relationships with married folks and single folks, one big family, moms and dads, kids, aunts and uncles, right, brothers and sisters, grandparents, imperfect but redeemed by the Lord. And that's hard and it takes intentionality. Get into a life group. We just launched life groups last week. Get into a group. I have single people ask me all the time, like, can I get into a family group? I'm like, are you part of the family? Absolutely you are. Yes. What if it's awkward? It probably will be a little bit sometimes. Please push past that. And married folks, can I ask those of us who are married, We need to do the hard work and go out of our way to say, hey, this single person is made in the image of God. Though they may be in a season of singleness, that may be a short period of time, a long period of time, lifelong. They are gifted by God. And by taking steps to have good relationship, not only will that help them, but they will enrich our lives. They will enrich our lives. And obviously you have to do that with wisdom, okay? Morgan and I aren't going to be like, hey... Let's find a 30-year-old guy and, and you go with Morgan and my kids. Spend lots of time together. That would be dumb, right? We have to exercise wisdom in that, of course. But man, let's take the step. Invite that single person in your life. You want to come over for dinner with me and my family? You're part of the family. We're a family. Praise God for the nuclear family and praise God for the family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. One example of that, there's a, uh, older couple in our church, they are now on the third college student uh, that they have hosted in their home over long periods of time, where for months, college, some of our young uh, college age girls have said, hey, I need somewhere to live, right? I don't want to leave for the summer. I don't want to go home. And this family said, you can live with us. And particularly the wife has been oh, in some ways like a mom to some of these girls. And there's just been a wonderful discipleship relationship there. We have got to do the long hard work of cultivating deep relationships as the body of Christ and I think over the long haul what that can do is it takes away some of that loneliness as that's replaced by deep relationship with others deep we were made the bottom line everyone needs deep relationships with other human beings and I believe deep relationships and deep friendships are possible outside of just marriage it's all over the bible Paul wasn't lonely. He had deep relationship with others. And I think by the grace of God, we've recaptured some of that as a church. And My hope is moving forward, we'll recapture more as we take the steps to do so. Second thing is this. For those of us really struggling with their season of singleness, like you're sitting here and you're like, Cale, I hear all of this. I know I'm supposed to see it as a gift, but I don't want it. <laughs> like I just, I, here's what I would say. Really what the Apostle Paul is saying Don't waste the season. Don't waste the season that God has given you just looking for the next season. Don't waste this chapter because you just want to get to chapter 2 or chapter 3 or chapter 4. Don't waste it. And if you're saying, yeah, but I can't be happy. I just can't be satisfied until I have a spouse. Here's what I would say to you. I love you. I'm going to ask you to consider something. Is that maybe more of an identity issue? a gospel identity issue than it is a I don't have a spouse issue. Because if you're saying, I cannot be happy and I cannot be satisfied until I find that right person. Those of us who are married can attest to this. Guys, marriage doesn't fix that. Marriage is wonderful, but it doesn't, no other human being is made to fill the deep recesses of your soul. And you get into marriage and what you realize is, hey, this kind of exposed some of the things going on in me. It didn't just fix it. And so if deeply unhappy, deeply unsatisfied single people get married and become, unless there's a heart change, they become deeply unhappy and deeply unsatisfied married people. Unless there's a heart change, and that goes for all of us, married or single, and here's the good news. That change of heart is available to us. That void can be filled, and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, and knowing who we are and to whom we belong. That we have a heavenly father who chose us in love before the foundation of the world. And my first identity, married, single, or otherwise, is not as husband or father or wife or sister or brother. My first identity is as his son or daughter, beloved and redeemed. And I would say start there. Start there and know your gospel identity. You have a heavenly father who deeply, deeply loves you. And if you're here today and you're not in Christ, that is offered to you. That's offered to you through faith by turning from your sin and trusting Jesus. Let me ask these two questions. I'm going to put these on the screen and then we're going to sing together. How might the Lord want to use my singleness for his glory? And what steps can I take today to be fully devoted to the Lord? How might the Lord want to use my singleness for his glory? And what steps can I take today to be fully devoted to the Lord. How might the Lord want to use my singleness for his glory? I want us just to imagine that for a moment. What might God want to do? And then what steps can I take today to be fully devoted to the Lord? Let's pray together. We're actually going to take communion after that. Then we'll sing. Father, we love you. Will you change our hearts on this? And God, will you help us? We need your grace. We need your help. I pray for those who are in a season of singleness, Lord, that you would encourage them and give them the grace to see how my, you might use this season in their life for your glory. And Father, for those of us who are married, God, may we be good brothers and sisters to our single brothers and sisters as the family of God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.